As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Show and our latest batch of listener questions. On today's show, we'll learn why Ralph Ranyett got the heck out of Manchester, what happened to Fabian Johnson, and we'll learn about our fantasy dinner dates. Mm. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today to answer your questions is a man I haven't spoken to in a few hours. Taylor Rockwell, have you been interviewing for the Chelsea job? <laughs> I am one of the few who has not been. I like how uh, Twitter is trending in the direction of any name you click on that is a managerial name is imminently about to be appointed the new Chelsea manager. It seems like they're about to have nine of them, which is an innovative, if convoluted, strategy. Yeah. Well, by the time this uh, episode is published, I'm sure Jose Mourinho would have been uh, announced as Chelsea's <laughs> manager for the zillionth time, Taylor. But we shall see. We shall see. Third time's the charm, baby. Indeed. Joining us, Taylor, a man who's keeping a close eye on US soccer's very own Spygate scandal. Joe Lowry, tell us more. Yeah, so this is the best thing that's ever happened to the U.S. Open Cup. So Sacramento Republic are in Orlando training ahead of the U.S. Open Cup final, which is tonight as we're recording on Wednesday. Taylor did a really good set of interviews with Todd Dunavit and and Jake Edwards, so two key USL figures there. Go listen to that. It was on the feed yesterday. Sacramento Republic apparently were training, and Taylor Twelman broke the news last night that an Orlando City person had been at their training and had been spying on them. Um, which is great. Full Marcelo Bielsa spygate or or just NFL spygate. Incredible. Then reports come out that Orlando City, sorry, that Sacramento Republic were training at a public park. Um, and so then people were wondering, well, it's a public park. And then people were wondering, well, reports came out that said something to the effect of, and I still haven't read as much about this as I should, but reports came out that said, uh, basically, yeah, they were asked to leave. The Orlando City person was asked to leave several times and was videotaping for 30 to 45 minutes. So things are going well. Things are going very, very well ahead of you know the oldest cup competition that exists in, I think, most places. Maybe the oldest period outside of the FA Cup. It's old. It's very, very old. And this is just <laughs> the best way I can think of to steward it. I hope... Um... Orlando used the fat Tony from the Simpsons defense of, what? What did I do? (laughs) I believe that's exactly what they wrote into U.S. soccer. Um, I don't know how that went, but I'm going to assume it went well. 
Uh, it so does sound like they went with the uh, Dave Chappelle, I'm sorry, officer, I didn't know I couldn't do that approach. Uh, <laughs> so credit to them. That does seem like it's then going to set the table for a, a spicy U.S. Open Cup final if those two teams aren't exactly friendly with each other. Wonderful stuff. Rounding out our pack, gents, a man who once ran a football manager simulation of Erling Haaland at Manchester <laughs> City, and the results, Graham Ruthven, were as expected. Yeah, I had a little bit too much time on my hands that, that Friday night. Friday night tends to be my, my night off. And so one Friday night, a few weeks ago, I ran that simu- simulation and he scored 84 goals. And then I looked through his next few seasons. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was something like 72, 68. He hit 80 again in a season uh, soon after that and City won everything. And at the time that seemed pretty silly that he would reach 80 goals, but I think he's already about halfway there after playing Sevilla on Tuesday night. So what do I know? Yeah, yeah. So the AI was correct and the machines are taking over is what I'm taking from this, Graham. Well, we already knew that because Haaland is the goal bot. Oh, so. That is true. Ryan, is true. Um, I don't know what a Graham Ruffin cry for help sounds like, but that sounds like a Graham Ruffin cry for help. Graham, you spent your Friday night running Erling Haaland simulations? I did, yeah. I mean, he has a simulation in himself, so it was a simulation within a simulation. But yes, that's what I did. Taylor, there wasn't any neighborhood vigilantism to be done that Friday night, that's all. <laughs> and Graham doesn't need a haircut. Come on. Yeah, right. You're right. He, he, he ticked all the boxes. Why not do that? Graham, never mind. I take it back. That sounds like a lovely evening. I'm assuming alcohol was involved as well. Uh, it may have been, yes. That I think boy. that was prerequisite <laughs> to run a football manager simulation to see how Erling Haaland would do it at his new club. Excellent stuff. That's how rock and roll we are, listener. Let's get on with the questions you have submitted. If you have any for us, totalsoccershow.com slash questions. We love to receive them and to read them out, like this one from Zachary Bates, who says he's a long-time listener, first-time writer in era. Uh, a few years back, there was heated debate over who could be considered the third best player in the world behind Messi and Ronaldo. Neymar, Gareth Bale and Eden Hazard were contenders for this title of third best. Though undeniably incredible at their peaks, it's fair to say all three have seen their careers take a turn south the past few seasons. Which of these three players, asks Zachary, came closest to their full potential and which player has been the biggest disappointment? Um, Joe, I'm going to lay out straight off the bat my my two nominations for the player reached their full potential and the biggest disappointment. For full okay. potential for me, Gareth Bale. Uh, five Champions League, three league titles, dragging his national team to three major tournaments, pretty deep in one of them, uh, being the most expensive player in the world, if memory serves correct. I would say uh, fullback who was almost sold by Birmingham for not being good enough uh, has realised his potential there. <laughs> and biggest disappointment for me on the other side of the scale, Eden Dazar for injury and unfortunate reasons, Joe. Yeah, so I agree with your most disappointed um, and the player that didn't totally live up to his potential in Eden Hazard. Hasn't played more than 1,000 league minutes since his first season at Real Madrid. That was in in 2019-20, back when he was 28 years old. Basically after his time with Chelsea, which was electric for stretches of that time. It it just hasn't been the same. It hasn't really been the same with Belgium. It hasn't really been the same with Real Madrid. So I, I do think Eden Hazard, after... You know, a lot of folks, myself included, kind of thought this is going to be a a really big move for him and he's capable. We have never really seen that happen. I I am mind blown sort of at at the fact that, Ryan, you didn't answer Neymar and the fact that even really Neymar is involved in this question. He I think he is the closest to reaching his full potential. And I think it's not very close. I guess he's still a global superstar today. Like he's still playing at the highest level. He's going out. 
and helping PSG carve up Italian France, giants yeah. in the Champions League. But that, I mean, that's... I, I don't really know how to account for that, I guess. I think that is I think that is something that people will toss against him. But if you watch Neymar play and you go out and watch PSG play, it's clear that he is still one of the absolute best attacking players in the entire world. He's dealt with injuries, which is true, so he hasn't played a ton of full seasons. But he's been a key figure for one of the best teams in Europe ever since he's arrived in Europe between Barcelona and PSG. Ten goals or more every single season, but three in his European career. And five assists or more in every single season of his European career. I I just have such a hard time wrapping my head around another answer. But I, I do hear Gareth Bale. I think Gareth Bale came yeah. pretty darn close. But Neymar is still doing this stuff. The, Neymar, Neymar is the one for me who it felt like he was in that third spot for the for the longest. And you're right, Joe, to mention some of the numbers. I went through some of his numbers at, at, at Barcelona because he was so good. I know things have gone surf, sour for him at PSG, but he, he was so good at Barcelona. And that was a Barcelona team that won everything. So he scored 105 goals, assisted 76 goals in 186 games for Barcelona. That's a, a pretty incredible ratio. He won La Liga twice, the Copa del Rey three times, the Champions League, the Club World Cup. And I also think Neymar had a hand in the sense of, of Messi around this team because I know it's difficult to remember given what Neymar has kind of become at PSG, but he was the perfect teammate during his time at, at Barcelona. The width he gave them, the direct running, it was so crucial to the way they played and, and the way that Messi played in this team. But I still look at Neymar now. How long has he been at PSG? Four, four seasons? He has not become the player for PSG that I thought he was going to become. I thought he was going to go to PSG to win the Champions League to become the face of that team. And I guess he is one of the faces of that team. But it felt like he never made that that final step from being the third best player in the world to being the best player in the world. And so that's why I still look at him for all that he achieved. I still look at him as unfulfilled potential just because he had the potential to become the next in line after that Messi and Ronaldo Duopoli. So I think he might be, I mean, look, it's difficult to look past Eden Hazard given how his Real Madrid career has panned out. But I still think there's an argument for Neymar in the unfulfilled potential category. Yeah, I think... I'm not going to settle the debate. I'm just going to add, I guess, more fuel to the fire because uh, I think I see it both ways. I definitely had had Hazard as the number three for the reasons already laid out, but I went back and forth on Neymar and Bale. And I think the reason why is because when you all were talking about Neymar, Joe, you said he is a key figure. I think, uh, Graham, you referred to him as the perfect teammate at Barcelona, but to your point, Graham, he was never the face. He was a face. He was never the main man. He was always a teammate. And I think that is where he hasn't maybe reached that next level. So it's like he has been, in my mind, playing at a higher level uh, than I think the other two players that we're talking about. But I, I think there was still his potential level was that much higher than the other two, such that he hasn't, even if he's exceeded what the other two have exceeded in terms of achievements and, and the fact that he's still playing at a high level, I think there's still some room that he hasn't been able to close. That probably comes in the form of Brazil winning something with him, maybe winning a World Cup with him sort of as that that main, main man. Maybe that changes things. Because with Gareth Bale, I sort of think this is not meant to be a knock on him, even though it's going to sound like that. But I don't think of him as technically gifted compared to Aiden Hazard or Neymar. And so I think in some ways, his potential ceiling was a little bit lower than those two. And so he has, I think, 
come the closest to hitting that potential uh, and having the successes he's had, as Ryan already listed. But at the same time, I don't think that there was a, like, this guy was supposed to be the game-changing difference maker in world football the way I think we thought maybe Aiden Hazard and Neymar would be. And so I think in some ways, Gareth Bale, for all the reasons Ryan listed, uh, like came the closest to hitting his maximum potential, especially with what he's done with Wales. And I think Neymar... Is, is just maybe that gap is a little bit greater, even if he has done more. It's a very confusing thing, and I'm really glad that Neymar was included because it made me think about things a little differently than I think I'm inclined to. Another player who I think maximized his potential and who was in this debate about the, the third best player in the world for a number of years is Antoine Griezmann. And I'm not saying that he's not technically gifted because he is, but one some of his best qualities are, are what he brings out of possession. That's why Diego Simeone likes him. And we've seen when he's gone to Barcelona and that system didn't really work for him. Obviously, he's performed well for France. So I'm not saying the only team that he plays well for is Atletico Madrid. For, is, uh, Atletico Madrid. And he was also very good at Real Sociedad too. But if you look through some of his numbers in his first spell at Atletico, the, the goals he scored per season. So 25 goals, 32 goals. 26, 29, 21. And that's for a team that it's not that easy to score those sort of numbers for Atletico Madrid under Diego Simeone. And you look at the other strikers that Atletico Madrid have had, even when they've been successful and they've come nowhere near those sort of numbers. And he's not a penalty box poacher. He actually kind of started more as a winger when he joined Atletico Madrid and was moved into a central position. So I think Antoine Griezmann, he was in that debate for a long time, but he is on the side of maximizing his potential in my eyes. All right, so it sounds like we have not at all reached a consensus on the answer to this question then, gents. Well done, everybody. We can be very proud of Correct. ourselves. Um, but, yeah, very good discussion there. Zachary, thank you very much for that question. Do send another when you have the opportunity. From one Zach to another, um, this is the Zach Attack segment, I suppose, of this, my favourite 90s band, Joe. Um, Zach Attack, you like their music? Yeah, yes. Yep. Good. They were a fictional <laughs> band t-shirts. from a TV show, but hey. Um, Zach Lippert has got in touch. Why did Ralph Rangnick leave Manchester United? What was his new role supposed to be? And is there someone there now? Um, interesting one, Taylor Rockwell. This one isn't mm-hmm. it. As Ralph Rangnick, of course, is now manager of the Austrian national team. He was interim manager at Manchester United last season. The intention was for him to do that job until a permanent manager was found and for him to move upstairs to a, an upstairs directorial role uh, which he start or claimed to start to do, but then got the Austria job simultaneously. And Man United said, "No, you can't do that." That's my read of it, Taylor. Um, I and I think that is a generous read to some extent. <laughs> uh, Laurie Whitwell has a great piece on this for the Athletic about sort of what happened with Ralph Rangnick in charge at Manchester United. Ryan, I think you're you're right. That was the idea. And I think if things had gone well with him as interim manager and he had sort of gotten the players back on board, gotten the buy-in that he was looking for, everybody kind of pulling in the same direction, I think what would have happened is he would have moved into that more kind of technical director uh, advisory role. And then Eric Ten Hag would have come in uh, and maybe the two of them would have collaborated on signings. Uh, Eric Ten Hag would have been in charge of the squad, obviously, and there would have been a structure in place. And I think that was the goal. 
And then uh, United found out what happens when you publicly appoint someone as an interim manager and make clear that they will not be the permanent manager is that a squad that is already sort of fractured doesn't really buy in at all because they don't know what to expect. Why are we going to do all this pressing and, and running if this person's not going to be here? And I would say looking at the way they started the season this year uh, when they have the loss to Southampton and then uh, – or who, who was it who they had to run after because they got destroyed? Was it Bournemouth who beat the, the, the stuffing out of them? Oh, Brentford. Thank you. I knew there was a B in there. Uh, yeah, after that result, he makes them run 13 kilometers, uh, Eric Ten Hag. And I think if Rangnick had tried to do the same thing, I'm not sure it would have worked. I'm not sure it would have happened because everything I've read was basically him uh, putting one finger in the dam to stop a leak there, but he had to take his finger out of another leak. And so if you try to change the formation to accommodate Ronaldo... You're leaving out two or three players who want to play a different style. If you try to incorporate them, now this other player who is playing in the perfect role has to do these two other things, and that makes them worse. And I think there was never any sort of consensus buy-in from the squad to get on board with what he was asking. I think at the same time, he didn't get the personnel he wanted and and the assistant coaches he wanted. Some of that due to Brexit, from what I understand, that there were regulations on who could come in and when. So he has to kind of do with a makeshift uh, coaching staff, which, not trying to be discourteous, but that is a big reason why Chris Armas ends up there. That's certainly not the profile of person he was bringing in because he wanted somebody with whom he had more of a solid foundation and relationship. Not that they didn't, but that there were others who I think could have done more and ease some of the burden and had more authority in that team. And so ultimately it sounded like he kind of didn't know what to do. He tried different things. Then he'd try something else. And and I think for Manchester United, it, it felt like he wasn't getting everybody on the same page. He wasn't really pulling in the same direction. He was trying things and they weren't sticking. And then he was trying something out. And I think Eric Ten Hag came in and, and didn't really love that either. And so it feels like basically he had an opportunity, brief as it was, but his mandate sort of immediately hamstrung him. And then from there, things just went south. Yeah, I, I love, Taylor, the idea that um, Ralph Randick was treated like a cover teacher at school, like your regular teacher's yep. away. A cover teacher's come in with some set work and you just don't have the buy-in. You're not going to do it because he's not your regular teacher. I love the way that <laughs> professional soccer players yeah. earning six figures a week would, would regard a manager in that way. And, but I, I do I do sort of get it, honestly. And I feel bad for genuinely everyone involved in this one. But there was the story from that Whitwell piece about he brought in a, a sports psychologist because he felt like the squad needed to kind of process some things. Individual players needed to deal with things and and just sort of needed someone to talk to. But he brings in a person who I think is pretty reserved in their first meeting, doesn't speak, and the players aren't sort of moved by this person. And so then they go with their open door policy of come in and talk to me, and no one comes in and talks to them because they're not being made to do this. They don't know who this person is. They don't know how long they're going to be there. Why should I confide in a stranger? I think young alpha males aren't always inclined to do therapy. So I, I think it's already going to be a challenge there. And it just seems like it kept being these optional things that people could take advantage of, but why would you? And then it get, it gets worse and worse and worse, and the atmosphere turns increasingly toxic. And then Ralph Ragnick decides, you know what? Austria and a national team sounds way more fun than this. Yeah. Bye-bye. Yeah, the, the, the most interesting part of what happened with Ragnick at Manchester United for me is the the de facto sporting director role that he was meant to take up, which then became a consultancy role, which was then scrapped before he was even even able to to start that role. So in terms of why he didn't continue as as manager, I think it's pretty simple. Taylor, you, you've laid out 
a lot of good stuff there. But looking at the results, they, they just weren't good enough. So it became pretty apparent quickly that he was not going to continue in that role. But as a sporting director, he'd had a great deal of success in, in with the Red Bull clubs. He'd been in charge of that sort of umbrella organisation and, organization and, and shaping Salzburg and RB Leipzig. And Manchester United initially, it seemed, wanted him to do something similar. But then reading between the lines, I think Ranić was just too much of a disruptor. He spoke openly about the mistakes that the club had made. He spoke about how the club needed 10 new players in the in the summer transfer window. And nothing that he said was untrue. In fact, he nailed so many things about United and what has gone wrong for that club in recent times that when my United started this season so badly, I saw Manchester United fans and, and blogs and podcasts kind of... Um, circulating clips of Ranić from last season last season nailing a lot of what was going wrong I, th- I think my United, I think the the disconnect came because my United wanted Ranić to work within the structure they had with John Murtaugh and Darren Fletcher and Richard Arnold as the CEO and Ranić wasn't willing to do that he wanted autonomy and Manchester United weren't willing to give him that they aren't really willing to give anyone that they might have a, a sporting de- department now Manchester United for the first time really since the Glazers took over all the way back in 2005 they do have positions in those sporting director and technical director roles but there's a lot of speculation and it's not quite clear about just how much decision making is left down to them and how much is Richard Arnold and how much is the Glazers themselves so I'm joining the dots a little bit because there's not really been any official statement on why Ranić didn't take take up that consultancy position and Ranić hasn't really spoken spoken publicly about it at, at any great length but I think it's fair to say to 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 make the assessment that Ranić thought he was going to get more freedom and more control to reshape Manchester United and when it came down to it that just wasn't on the table. Oh that was cute of him wasn't it? Bless him. <laughs> Joe anything to add to this one? Just that because it was going to be a consultancy role, I I didn't see United bringing anyone in directly to fill that consultant basis in the way that Rangnick would have filled it. So it it wasn't as if he was going to be hired in this permanent position that was going to have some really official title. Once we sort of learned more about what the role was going to be, he just sort of rides off into the sunset, becomes the Austria manager, and in Manchester United continue with Eric Ten Hag having most of a voice in terms of how they continue to evolve as a squad, at least with the players that he has. I don't think there was a huge need to fill that role, nor do I really think, and and this goes back to something that Taylor already said, I believe, that Rangnick would have worked all that well with Eric Ten Hag. Ten Hag was asked when he was first appointed, you know, about some of those things or asked about, you know, how he how he would work together with other voices. And it just doesn't feel like the styles mesh. Rangnick is a, you know, a hardcore Red Bull school kind of manager. He's had a huge amount of influence on the modern game. Ten Hag likes to do some Red Bull-y kind of things, but he also likes to play with the ball. He also likes to spread the field more in ways that feel very un-Red Bull. And, you know, Red Bull managers have tried to do that stuff and have gone about doing that. Domenico Tedesco has done that at Leipzig. And it sounds like he's done at RB Leipzig. So that's gone very, very well. It just felt like that was not going to be a stylistic blend that actually did blend together all that well. So Rangnick goes on with Austria and that chapter is kind of over. And a lot of folks want to pretend that it never happened. Indeed. Thank you very much, Zach, for that question. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're talking about the best non-injured players to be selected for their country's World Cup team. I've just given away the question that's coming up next. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions. And here's one from Sean Hardgrove that I previewed before the break. Who will be the best non-injured player to not be selected for their country's World Cup team this coming winter. Uh, Graham, my mind for this question immediately turns to the French. I'm thinking yes, Upper Meccano. <laughs> I'm thinking Clement Longley, perhaps. I'm thinking Olivier Giroud, maybe? Yeah, so I think Giroud's got a fairly good chance of making the squad. You're right to go to France. That's instinctively where I went for this question. And so there are a few players who are maybe on the bubble. Maybe Upamecano is, is one of them. Maybe he forces his way in. So I was trying to find a player that you could say 100% they're not going to be in the French team or the French squad for the World Cup. So I, I looked at uh, Wesley Fofana. He is unlikely to be in that roster because he, is not, he hasn't had a senior cap for France. He's a, a £70 million defender now, a player Chelsea are counting on to be a key part of their team for years to come. Obviously, that team will not be coached by Thomas Tuchel, who was sacked unceremoniously this morning. Uh, this morning, but he has um, he's been off the radar for France in terms of their senior squad. He has under twenty one cap, so maybe he's going to make that step up at some point in the future. But I would be very surprised if that step up comes before this winter's World Cup. And then I also look to Spain because I know Luis Enrique has um, certain favourites in that squad, in particular in in goals. And I'm going to put forward uh, David De Gea. And I know there have been questions about David De Gea recently, but he's still been one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League over the last 10 years. And it's highly unlikely that he will be in the Spain squad for the World Cup. And it's not a decision made because Spain have loads of depth in this this area, like France do in, in defence. You, know, you can understand why Wesley Fofana is not going to be in that squad. But Unai Simon is Luis Enrique's first choice goalkeeper. He was not that great at the Euros and has not been that great for Spain in general. And then their number two is uh, David Raya, who is the, the Brentford goalkeeper, a decent enough goalkeeper, but not someone you would say who's performing week in, week out at the elite level. So it is slightly surprising in a sense that De Gea is not going to be in that Spain squad, but Luis Enrique likes his goalkeepers to play with the ball at their feet. And that is something, as we have seen at Manchester United this season, David De Gea is not very comfortable doing. Indeed. Good nominations, Graham. Taylor, where'd you go with this one? Uh, I too went to Spain uh, where, I, yeah, I think Graham has laid it out with David De Gea, but I think also there's so many midfield options that I think any number of very, very, very good uh, midfielders might not end up going. And I think the same is true for Brazil when it comes to their attacker. Uh, their most recent uh, squad for their friendlies in June, the, the attacking core 
uh, if you can say that most, like a majority of the squad equals the core. Uh, Richarlison, Neymar, Gabriel Jesus, Rafinha, Vinicius Jr., Mateus Cunha, Martinelli, and Rodrigo. All of them very, very good players. And that meant uh, Anthony, Firmino, and Gabriel Barbosa, who's been incredibly good in Brazil. All three of them left off. If Anthony hits form, let's say, maybe that's like Mateus Cunha dropping out. But I think there are so many good players in that attacking core for Brazil that I think any of them being left off would probably start for another national team. But then there are sort of the other side of this away from just the squads are so good. You always have the falling out, the players that don't get on. And I believe I am correct in saying that Hakim Zayek has retired or refused to play for Morocco again. Uh, so he, I think, is unlikely short of a man- managerial change. Mazraoui was also in that conversation, but that was before they sacked their manager. So maybe he, they will both be back in now that, that they've got a new coach. But, uh, Last I heard, uh, Zayek at least was still rejecting the national team. Maybe that will change, but you do get those sort of situations when there's just acrimony between the coach and a player or the player and the FA, and they end up getting uh, left out as a result. Yeah, I hate to see it. Joe, what do you think? Yeah, I went with the big guns as well. Some French attacker, I think, could really be on this list. Maybe Dembele is one of those. Although, man, if he's playing well at Barcelona, I have such a hard time seeing him left off of France's squad. But you think about the other attacking options that they have. Kylian Mbappe, Christopher Nkunku, Griezmann, Kingsley Coman, Moussa Diaby. I mean, there's so much there. And I don't think if you're Didier Deschamps that you're wanting to carry that many attacking players. So I think there's a real possibility there. Maybe an English attacker as well. One of Jaden Sancho or Marcus Rashford. Again, yeah. tons of depth between Saka and Foden and Mount and Grealish and Sterling and though I mean and, and more players still. You look at the center forwards and, and ones that can drift out wide, and there's just an incredible, stupid amount of depth in that team. And then Renato Sanchez is one that comes to mind because I guess I'm I've just turned into a Renato Sanchez pop propagandist at this point. I don't know what it, I don't know what happened, but uh, he wasn't selected for Portugal over the summer. And I think, again, you think about how much quality there is in, in Portugal's team. You look at that midfield group, and there's names that have been around for a while that are still playing well for them. There's younger, talented names. There's there's superstars all over the world. Renato Sanchez hasn't always been involved in the past, but has played key roles. If he's not there, I think he's certainly in this discussion as well. Sean Hargrove, thank you very much for that question. Let's go to Bobby Drexler, who says, With all the USMNT talk lately, I was curious. Whatever happened to Fabian Johnson? Dude just disappeared off the face of the planet, <laughs> says Bobby. Uh, he's been without a club, uh, sorry, without a contract uh, since his uh, contract ran out at Gladbach in July 2020, I believe. No Instagram posts in almost a year. No <laughs> tweets in even more years than that. Um, Taylor, I'm, I'm not on True Social, but I know you're verified on there. Has he been on there? <laughs> I am not, but I'm guessing he has not either. Okay. Uh, I refuse to yes and that one. Uh, but I will give you my best uh, shot at explaining what's happened to Fabian Johnson. Uh, a couple things. First of all, he has aged. Uh, he is currently 34, turns 35 in December. So it's not as though he's a 28-year-old who's without a contract. That would be slightly more inexplicable. But I, I think when you look at uh, the timeline of events, as you said, Ryan, without a contract since 2020, but he only played six games for a total of 271 minutes in that season due to injuries. And that really was sort of the story of his Gladbach career in those last few seasons. He hadn't played more than 20 games in the Bundesliga since the 2016-2017 season. So even the years that he was still playing for them, he missed a lot of time due to injury and I think was a somewhat inconsistent performer as a result. 
And that sort of goes with his for his time with the U.S. men's national team as well. Uh, for as important as he was and for as talented as he was for the U.S., he also had the fairly public falling out with Jurgen Klinsmann when he requested to be substituted, and there was a feeling that he wasn't fighting for the team and pulling in the right direction. And and so I think at that point, he was sort of ostracized from the national team. Uh, when Greg Berhalter comes back, uh, not comes back in, but is appointed, there are conversations, there is a discussion about Fabian Johnson being involved, but that's in the season when he spends most of his time on the sidelines. And I think that is a, a pretty big what-if in my mind. If he had been playing well enough that he could justify being called or Berhalter could justify calling him up to the national team and he has successes there. I do wonder if that would have jump started things or gotten him a move to another club, but because he wasn't playing for the national team, there were questions about his work ethic, there are questions about his his fitness and sort of injury history. I think it meant that clubs were hesitant to spend money on a player who probably wanted a little bit of cash since he'd been playing for one of Germany's biggest clubs. And I think that final point is worth noting. He has only ever played in Germany. That's where he was born. That's where he was raised. That's where he played his club football. That's where he played his youth national team football. And so I think there wasn't as much desire on his part, it seems, to move to a lower level league or move to major league soccer and, and make a f- like a few more paychecks, play a few more years and maybe make it to the national team again. It seemed like he was a player who was just kind of okay with where things were and chose unofficial retirement over that last big paycheck. Indeed. Yeah. Any, any more theories out there, Joe, how are you feeling about this one? I mean, we could go really outlandish and come up with some good fiction stuff. We don't, we don't really and truly know what's happening with Fabian Johnson. He hasn't played soccer in a while. He maybe was kind of sort of going to be coming back to the U.S. men's national team after he and Berhalter met in 2019. That never turned into anything. It just seems like it seems like given where he is right now in his 30s and given how long it's been since he's played, it doesn't seem like he's coming back anytime soon. I think Fabian Johnson just sort of rode off into the sunset, but really I can't say any more than I think because that's that's kind of all we know. I, I heard that he's actually the Orlando City spy. That's the rumor. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. That does check out. Yeah, yeah, he's just been hanging out at random public parks in Orlando. This is like a, man, that's kind of a dark turn for Fabian Johnson. <laughs> Graham, you need to run a football manager simulation and see actually where he ends up in the game as well. <laughs> I'm actually going to check because I think I'm about three or four se- seasons into my latest save. Um, and I'm playing 2020 at the moment. So he should have started at Gladbach. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check and get back to you on where he's actually ended up. Please do. Update us accordingly, Graham. Uh, Bobby, thank you for your question there. Bob Builder. Bob Builder in touch with a very, very good question here. Here we go, guys. You have to set up a dinner for yourself and three other people. A footballer, a non-football athlete, and one other celebrity of your choosing. Who are you inviting and what will the dinner be? Oh boy, oh boy. Graham Rutherford, I come to you first because I assume you're going to eat a pie of some kind with your fantasy <laughs> table of guests. Yeah, a meat pie for the main and a fruit pie for dessert. So that's the first thing. That's the menu. No, any, vegetables. Pie no vegetables for Graham. Oh, yeah, no no vegetables at all. I mean, onions in the pie, I guess yeah. that's that's allowed. But yeah, that's your greenery. That's one of your five a day. It's, it's in the pie. Um, I would, in terms of the footballer that I would invite, I'd want to pick a footballer who'd played in loads of good teams and with excellent players who could tell you a lot of behind-the-curtain stuff. So I'd go for Ronaldo, the original one, not the current one. I want, I'd want to know the, the true story of what happened before the 98 World Cup final. 
he'd surely have some good stories about Sir Bobby Robson and also what Mourinho was like as, as oh, a young right. man as, as the translator um, for Barcelona. And then you have World Cup glory with Brazil in 94 and what it was like to play in the US at that point when soccer was still in its development phase there and there wasn't really much of an infrastructure. And then again in, at the 2002 World Cup, and then you have the Galacticos era as well, Zidane, Figo, Beckham, Carlos, all those guys. Um, I think he also played with Ronaldinho, AC Milan when he went off the rails a little bit. So I bet there are uh, some good stories good with Ronaldo. Good as well, Graham. Good hair. Well, I think I've taken some of those 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 hair tips. Did he ever actually? Did he ever dye his hair blonde? Maybe maybe he didn't. So maybe my next hairstyle should be the the semi this the semi circle at the the front of my head. Yeah. What what do you even call that? I was I'll, struggling to describe. I'll Venmo you a hundred dollars if you do that, Graham. It's going to take more than a hundred dollars, Joe. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I do have a price, but it's not hundred. Anybody else want to chip in? Oh, yeah, I on. mean, I will double Joe's amount, uh, but with the specific caveat that you have to do it at your local barber, who I'm assuming is a dour Scottish man who will it's be very confused show. by this request, uh, and you have to film it for uh, comedic but posterity purposes. Okay, if you can tell me what I'm asking for, because I'm struggling to describe what that Ronaldo show hairstyle picture, was. show a picture, It's yeah. easy. <laughs> Big triangle on head, nothing else. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, wait, is, it, is that official? Does Graham agree? Uh, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> All right, <Graham, laughs> That's um, a step too far. <laughs> so tell us um, which uh, non-athlete named Andy Murray you're going to have at your table as well. Oh, I forgot. I had to pick two more. Sorry, I, I forgot where, my, where I was going with that there. Um, no, obviously my non-football athlete is, is Andy Murray, my absolute sporting hero from my hometown. Um, and I've spoken to him a couple of times, but I've never had dinner with him. So he owns a fancy hotel around the corner from where my parents live. So we could eat there, eat there I guess. Graham, I saw and a then, thing where he eats like four plates of sushi every meal or something that's yeah i mean i quite like sushi but i'm not sure four plates of it is what i would want for every meal so andy murray ronaldo the original one and then i'm going fully indulgent with my picks here because my celebrity pick would be michael j fox and he was my hero as a kid i once told my parents that i only wanted to be called marty and to stop calling me graham and then in adulthood I learned more about his fight against Parkinson's and the fundraising he's he's done in researching that disease. And I've got a huge amount of admiration for him. And it's great to, to still see him put himself out there. I remember when he was on Kimmel with Christopher Lloyd a few years ago and they got out the DeLorean and that was just great. My heart soared watching that. And then he played Johnny B. Good at a live concert with, with Coldplay a couple years ago. And obviously playing a guitar with Parkinson's is not particularly easy, but he still yeah. does it and still very good at it. So my three would be Ronaldo, Andy Murray and Michael J. Fox. Graham, are you a Kirby Enthusiasm fan? Yes, I am. Did you see the, I think yes. it was multiple episodes, but at least one with Michael J. Fox, yeah, where he keeps maybe deliberately shaking up Larry Soda. <laughs> yes. It. Like, yeah. I think his willingness to lean into that is, is pretty commendable and amazing. Yeah. That's a great one, Graham. I like his, yeah, uh, he, his willingness to do a blues riff in B, ask people to watch him for the changes and try to keep up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he invented rock and roll. We all know that. One time-traveling white dude was the one who invented rock yeah. and roll. Well, that's just facts. Yeah. That just happened. <laughs> your parents are going to love this. <laughs> Joe, your fantasy dinner table. Okay, so Graham was really thoughtful about his answers. Oh, Graham put a lot of careful detail and planning into his answers. Um, I'm trying to cultivate a vibe, a very specific vibe, and that is, quote, a good time, unquote. So 
Uh, I want things to be accessible. I want things to be down to earth. I want us all to have a good time. Because, I mean, we're all going to be from very different walks of life. I'm going to have different interests. So I'm hoping that we'll vibe well. My, my footballer is going to be Weston McKinney. Because who doesn't love Weston McKinney? Am I right? Come on now. My non-football athlete, this is when things start to go a little Don't bit off the Don't let near the ranch. Yeah. No, there will be no ranch at this dinner party. Good or gracious. Coffee. Yeah. Oh, shoot. I was going to say we should have pizza, but now maybe we can't because I don't trust Weston McKinney around pizza. Uh, We'll have to circle back on the dinner idea. Maybe a stir fry. It doesn't matter. Weston McKinney is going to be the soccer player. My non-football athlete is going to be Jamie Graham, a professional cornhole player. So let me explain. I want want someone who's down to earth, who's going to help the conversation flow. And, And Jamie Graham, I believe from North Carolina, from the very limited information that you find about pro cornhole players when you type in pro cornhole players on Google... Um, it seems like he's going to be a chill dude, down to earth. He knows how to throw some bags, so maybe I'll pick up some pointers and maybe we'll play cornhole, the four of us, after dinner. I like cornhole. It's a good, sounds like a good time. Down Are you to getting earth. paid Again, by the number of times you say cornhole? I'm just Down curious. to <laughs> earth, Taylor. Down to earth. Have you been paid by yeah, right? the Cornhole Association Big of America hole. Association? Guys, you're blowing this $20 check for me so hard Big right cornhole. now. Oh my gosh. Big Joe, I do know that they are based in Rock Hill, South Carolina, just outside of Charlotte, and that's a fact. Yeah, see, Ryan's on board, right? Um, Okay, so Weston McKinney, Jamie Graham, and and Adele. Adele is my celebrity, because who doesn't love Adele, right? (laughs) Same line of reasoning with Weston McKinney. Who doesn't love Weston McKinney? Who doesn't love Adele? Jamie Graham, nobody's really quite there yet, at least maybe outside of his family. I, I really don't know what's going on with him. But I'm hoping for a good time, good conversation. Maybe Adele will sing a little bit. We'll play some cornhole. We'll eat some, I guess, now stir fry because pizza's sort of out the window. Didn't think about that ahead of time. I feel like this is going to be a good time, if still a very strange time with a weird mix of people. Joe, I, I love the Adele pick, and she's a very talented lady, but she does have England's worst accent. Yeah, that well, yeah, that's that's true. Maybe she just only what? sings. What? Maybe yeah, she only sings. One, Graham. <laughs> it is a pretty bad accent, but whatever is made up for by the vocals. So fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Um, I'll, I'll, I will come to Taylor, but Taylor, I'll, I'll jump in next if you don't mind, uh, because my guests are going to be treated to obviously uh, bang bang chicken and shrimp from the Cheesecake Factory because. Of course, That's the top two. You have a problem. Anyone My would desire. God. You get bread <laughs> as well. You can have the white bread or the brown bread, Joe. You know, Wait, okay. You which more. is your favorite, Ryan, of the two? The brown. Yeah. Okay. Good. We can yeah, be it's friends. Probably got more sugar in it. Yeah, of course. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, and I've made my choices not on like um, so, uh, soccer players or non-soccer players who've achieved the highest in their fields, but more on who would be the most fun to hang with, who had the best banter. Um, I was, for my soccer player, uh, on that basis, I've gone for Timo Werner, um, who is the most fun German person you can imagine. And I think he's a bit crazy, Thomas Muller crazy as well, which I think would be really, really fun. There's a YouTuber called Emilia Dinoldenberg. Yes. Uh, there you go, Graham, you've seen it. And she does these sort of that very so deadpan good. interviews. And Timo Werner's been on at least one of them, and he... He was absolutely brilliant. So um, he he and that he gives as good as he's got yeah. because most of the time, if anyone has has what's her name, Ryan, I forget her name. I believe she her does name the is, chicken shop date. That's right, a chicken shop date. Her name's Amelia. Right, Amelia. So she's very deadpan, and her whole thing is to make people feel very uncomfortable. And there's only a couple people who I've seen give as good as they've got. One of them is Louis Theroux, who you yep. would maybe guess he would be good in that setting. And the other one was Timo Werner, who was hilarious in that video. Very much so. Louis Theroux, by the way, pronounces his surname differently to Justin Thoreau, even though they are very much related. Odd, but anyway. <laughs> um, my non-soccer athlete, I'm going for 
someone you might have heard of, Graham, US tennis player Jennifer Brady. Are you aware of Jennifer oh, yeah. Brady? Yeah. So not I have. so she had some decent success in like around 2020 as has got a WTA WTA title. Um but I for many years edited WTA videos. And so I get to see a lot of the rushes and a lot of the footage which you put together. And she is legit the funniest person I think I've ever seen. Like, not just on camera stuff, but like when she doesn't think she's on, she's absolutely hilarious. So I think she'd be very, very, very entertaining as a guest. And tennis players have fundamentally cool lives. They travel around the world as their little self-employed one-person teams. And yeah, I think she'd have a lot of stories as well. So she's my non-football athlete. My celebrity... I was going to go with my all-time hero, Noel Gallagher, who is obviously very entertaining and good value. He's also very good on that um, YouTube series where they eat the wings, um, the spicy wings. Um, oh, hot ones. Hot ones. As is my eventual choice, Sir David Grohl, because I think he's also a man who's got a lot of stories. He is my hero, to use a pun phrase, if you will. And I think he'd be very, very entertaining. I think he'd get along with Timo Werner and Jennifer Brady just fine. Taylor. Um, if you're eating at Cheesecake Factory, are you having this uh, fun dinner at 5 p.m.? Or h- how's that working exactly? Why would I eat later than that? <laughs> I wish you were joking. I feel like you're not. <laughs> um, I, I've gone for some combination of what you all have gone for, though I think uh, Joe uh, hit it right with you want that good chemistry. And I think I ended up putting more effort into this question than any other question we've answered today. Uh, here's who I've got for you. I've got, as a footballer, I want Erling Holland. I'm fascinated by him. I need to know how weird he is. I need to know how much he would eat. Uh, he doesn't eat food. He's, not a, he's not a human. <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll find out. Does he eat like gel- clear gelatinous cubes? Are they glowing? I want to find out. But I also want to know just how much of a physical specimen he is. Because at some point, I feel like you've got to have somebody who can balance uh, his energy and maybe end up in a foot race. And that's why Usain Bolt is also coming to my dinner. Uh, He will absolutely help me end this in a foot race between the two of them. I think that would be great. But for Graham, similar reasons uh, to your Ronaldo, I think Usain Bolt probably has some great stories. And then we need some conversational glue. The man who has held SNL together for like 20 years now, Keenan Thompson, is also coming to my dinner. So it's Keenan Thompson sort of one. sort of like adding the quick little one-liners in there, keeping the conversation flowing, keeping it light. Erling Haaland and Usain Bolt. And we're going to do a barbecue medley because you need a conversation topic. And we're going to get different barbecue styles so you can compare, contrast, decide which one's your favorite. But that gives us things to go back to when the conversation uh, dies, as it tends to do, I think, the average is every seven minutes. So there you go. That's oh. That's my squad right there every seven minutes we we do okay on this podcast then yeah not bad right yeah. taylor did you forget to pick your cornhole player or <laughs> you got that last one in joe do you get the full 20 dollars now again there is there is certainly no no check big cornhole has influence everywhere yep. you don't believe it big cornhole has its talons in joe lowry and they will not release him uh but that's just fine uh taylor one further question for me your mm-hmm. your meal choices i assume orange soda and good burgers oh no it was barbecue barbecue okay mm-hmm. excellent yes. and and a pint of nuts and bolts for erling Haaland. yeah <laughs> no yeah. he just needs 5w20 uh motor oil that's all he needs and then he's good to go you, I think you're going to have to make a lot of barbecue because you've got two giant men there. Yeah, yeah, that's the plan. I, I'm not making it. This is this is a catered affair. Uh, Ryan Bailey will be uh, doing the uh, Mater D services as well. Very good. I can't mm-hmm. wait for that one. Very fun question, Bob Builder. Thank you very much for that one. We'll be back after this break with a few more.
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to Listener Questions. Tyler Cox has been in touch with a question for Graham Rutherford. How would a mid-table English Premier League side do in the Scottish Premiership? Likewise, how would Rangers and Celtic do in the Premier League? So I guess, Graham, we start off by picking maybe a mid-table English club and, and seeing how they get on. What's mid-table these days? Newcastle, Leicester, Villa, I don't even know. 10th or 11th, Well, probably. generally speaking, I think mid-table is the middle of the table. I don't know if I'm blowing any minds there, but that's where I went to to pick the teams that Thank were... Thank you, Graham. Please go on. ...they were talking about. I mean, it depends which mid-table Premier League team we are talking about. So if we're talking about a team like Brighton, I think they would have a shot of, of winning the Scottish Premiership. Obviously, they ha- they've maybe taken a step forward this season, currently sitting in fourth, but they finished ninth last season. So I think they very much count as as mid-table. Newcastle, um, they finished mid-table last season, the way they're going at the moment, and the individual talent they have in players like uh, Bruno Gomares and Sven Botman and Alexander Isak. I think they would win it too, most likely. But then you've got Wolves. They finished 10th in, in, in the Premier League table last season. Palace, Palace Crystal Palace finished uh, 12th. I think Celtic in particular would finish above both of them over the course of a full season. And the answer to this question obviously fluctuates over seasons depending on the quality of Celtic and Rangers, who obviously are the two teams that share that Scottish Premiership title. But right now, Celtic and Rangers are, are, are pretty strong too. Three years ago, they weren't so strong. I would have said they'd be near the bottom of the Premier League table. But right now, I think Celtic and Rangers would finish smack bang in the middle of the Premier League. Celtic would probably suit the Premier League pretty well with the the way they play under Ange Postacoglu. So I think they'd have a they'd have a good chance of scraping a top half finish. I wouldn't put them any higher than like ninth in, in the Premier League, but I think they'd have a decent chance of that. And then I think Rangers, if I had to predict, they would finish somewhere between 15th and 11th in the Premier League table. But the best thing about this question is that Celtic Rangers aren't going to play in the Premier League anytime <laughs> soon, so I can't be proven wrong on any of this. Might be in the European Super League together though, Graham. Uh, are they getting an invite to that? I feel like all the all the non Big Five league clubs are looking on the window uh, inside. What am I trying to say? Looking on? Are they on the outside, outside looking, looking in? in. There, it is. there we go. Graham, how? Like I'm asking this not with a then joke setup. How attractive of a destination do you think Glasgow is uh, as a place to live? For people who don't know Glasgow, probably mm. not that attractive. Okay. But genuinely, I mean, go and look at the, you, you know, the, the magazine Time Out. It's mm. like a travel magazine. They have a list of the best. They do a, an annual list of the best cities in the world. And Glasgow is consistently in the top 10 of the best cities in the world. We've got good food. We've got music. We've got culture. We do not have sunshine. That mm. is one thing that we do not. We have a lot of rain. But other than that, if you're not a a, a a sunbather, a sun seeker, then Glasgow's a pretty cool place to live. I'm not from yeah. Glasgow, and I like living here. 
All right. I ask because I think if you throw them into the Premier League, theoretically, then they're also getting Premier League TV money. And so my question then became, like, if they're an attractive enough destination to live, do they become places that people would want to go? Because it's like a, a big city uh, in uh, in a place like Scotland that could be fun. So I, I, yeah, I, I was then thinking maybe they would end up being just fine. It's, sim- it's similar to Manchester, I would say, Glasgow. And I know there's a, there is a, a narrative around Na- Manchester and Frankie de Jong seemingly didn't want to sign for Manchester United because he didn't like the idea of Manchester. But there are other players like Juan Mata and David De Gea, you know, Spaniards, who have settled in Manchester and seem to Angel like Maria it loved it very well, much. I seem to remember. <laughs> no, he, an- well, Angel Di Maria's wife, what did she describe Manchester as? Like the back of a fridge. <laughs> Um, uh, it's it's dark. It's pitch black at three p.m. and everyone is porcelain white. I believe is what. You yeah, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not a fan. Not a fan. I like I like Manchester and I like Glasgow as well. They really should start sending players on loan to Seattle just to see how they do with like constant rain, and then if they're good with it, then you sign them to uh, Glasgow or Manchester. That makes yeah. sense to me. If you think this is bad, guys, you just wait. <laughs> 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 uh, speaking of Seattle, why don't we go to our final question? Jordan Morris has got in touch. Hmm. Uh, I was really confused, but well done, Ryan. Thank you. I try. I try to. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's that one, but it's Jordan Morris all the same. Curious how you guys would rate the, rate the Premier League coaches in order of who would win in a fight in a bare-knuckle cage match. Her I boy, love this. Uh, I Jordan love this. has suggested that Jesse Marsh is top tier and that Pep is bottom tier. Um, Joe, I'm going to say straight off the bat, Surely Patrick Vieira is elite league top tier. Oh in yeah, this yeah, situation. yeah, hundred percent. So I I follow Jordan's tier system as opposed to ranking all twenty Premier League managers. Maybe I'm not committed enough to the bit. Either way, I felt like tiers kind of got us there. I have a few top tier, a few bottom tier, and a couple middle tier, and I won't take them all. But uh, Patrick Vieira is certainly in the top tier, as is Jesse Marsh. I think another one is Antonio Conte. I went back through, fellas, and watched the tape of the Conte versus Tuchel scuffle after Chelsea versus Tottenham, and Conte won that battle. He gained territory on Tuchel. He was the aggressor. He was pushing forward. I know Tuchel's not even in this discussion anymore because he's no longer a Premier League manager, but Conte very clearly was on on the front foot in that matchup, and I think if there hadn't been any other security presence there, he would have he would have done some, some real... Uh, they'll just stop there. He would have won. Um, in, in terms of bottom tier managers, I had Thomas Tuchel in there. He lost the battle to Conte. That's about as close as we've gotten to a bare-knuckle fight cage match between two Premier League managers, at least this season. Tuchel's in there. Brendan Rodgers is five foot seven, um, so that's going to be a little bit of a tough one for him against some of the other managers. See Patrick Vieira. Um, and then Thomas Frank for Brentford yeah. looks pretty frail. I, I was looking at pictures of these guys, and he doesn't look like... He's really been training for a bare knuckle cage match, which is on him. To be fair, yeah, but why not? I, I don't know why he's not ready for this. He knows it's he's coaching the same league as Antonio Conte. But either way, he's in my bottom list. And then just one mid mid tier, uh, Mikel Arteta feels like he's trying to be intimidating, but he doesn't look intimidating. But I, I think he's I think he's got enough to him to put him in that middle tier. He's not top tier. I don't think he's bottom tier either. So he's going to be hanging out right in the middle for me. Yeah. What What do we What do we think of Jesse Marsh? Because Jordan Morris says that Jesse Marsh is top tier. Yeah. And he has obviously caused a stir with some of his touchline antics, and he has earned himself a reputation of being a bit of a bad boy. He's been sent off as a Premier League manager already this season. But I do wonder if in an actual fight yeah. he might be a bit of a scrappy no. dude. That's exactly the term I was going to no. use. He's a scrappy dude. Let me at him! Let me at him! 
Yeah. Have you seen that picture but, of Jesse Marsh with blood rolling down his face while he was playing in Major League Soccer, and he just looks so intense and unbothered? No, Jesse Marsh is top tier. He's I, I will not accept any scrappy mm, new slander. I am I'm suspicious. I think he might be a scrappy dude. And plus, those those tight jeans can't do much for flexibility. He might be <laughs> man. He might be restricted in that. a cage match. I'll that give way. you that, Graham. I'll I was so good. I kept missing Graham saying scrappy do, and I kept thinking like you guys are arguing over whether or not he's like a consummate fighter versus a scrapper. Now I understand. <laughs> yeah, Graham, you are incorrect. Jesse Marsh would be absolutely savage in this one. He is the yes. one who would take it yes. too far. Yes. He is Jurgen Klopp, but even more intense. He would beat Jurgen Klopp by like fighting dirty, and then I. think... I think he would probably end up being the villain in this scenario if we're going like full Royal Rumble. I think he probably gets past Patrick Vieira by Vieira being distracted and he like stabs him in the back. And I think it comes down to a surprise one. I think it's Jesse Marsh versus Eric Ten Hag. Eric Ten Hag is the final girl oh. in this one. Because he's unassuming, but also ruthless. And I think also kind of a big dude. Uh, I think he did that 13-kilometer run with the team, so we know he's got the physical fitness. I think of uh, the movie You're Next. He's the one who nobody sees coming, but then he's actually the one who's uh, Bruce Willis-style wearing the wife beater covered in blood at the end and has See, found his way through. I was I was trying to place Ten Hag in these rankings because he has definitely got a slightly dark edge to him, but I decided in the end that he was more of an evil CEO than a cage fighter. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the vibe I get from him as evil CEO. Yeah, Taylor, to be fair, I can run long distance, but I would not be good at a bare knuckle Can you though, Ryan? Match. Can you though? No. <laughs> All right. uh, Graham, another couple of names I'll throw in the hat I don't think have been mentioned Stephen Gerrard, who we have okay. We know of evidence that he's been at least one bar fight A publicly um, disclosed yeah. one David Moyes, I think it's all in the eyes I think someone would just wilt in front of him Yeah, Moyes and also a, a Glaswegian And Glaswegians, I guess, have a, a reputation I'm not a Glaswegian myself, but I live here And they, they've got a reputation for being uh, rather, rather handy in a in a bare knuckle fight. So maybe David Moyes is a bit of a, a a sleeper there. My top three are Conte. I just I just can't look past Conte as a manager. I would be most frightened to face in a cage match because even if I survived the cage match, I would be terrified about that walk to the car in the car park and not knowing where he was in the shadows. So Conte is my number one. Vieira, for all the reasons mentioned in those keen Vieira battles, I feel like he'd be pre- pre- prepared for it. Guardiola, because everything would just be so intense and so quick, you just wouldn't know what what was what was happening. There'd be hands everywhere, and all of a sudden you'd be on the floor. And then my bottom three are Eddie Howe, just too angelic, I think. Frank Lampard, do, do they have playground scraps at private school? And then Graham Potter. <laughs> Graham Potter is my third one. He's oh. he's just too he's just too clever to get into a bare knuckle fight. He would he would he would, he would figure a way to to get the better of you without uh, without resorting to I'd violence. I say Frank, Lamp- Frank Lampard is not a bad shout in the bottom ground, but he can be feisty. I remember when they were insulting him on Talksport on a radio show once, and he called in and defended himself and started shouting at the uh, uh, the presenters, which I quite admired. It was quite. A, a bold move. You admired that? I'm not sure that's that's something. Uh, I don't know if that's the mark of a composed Premier I, League manager, but I take your point. Well, I'm now into the idea of this. Like slowly, you put them all in uh, the cage, you lock that door, but then they organically just pair off and end up fighting the the appropriate person. So like Pep and Arteta 
aren't actually fighting. They're just saying what they're going to do. And then the other one is saying how they'll cancel that one out before you even do that. Well, I'll cancel that one out before you can even cancel that one out. And that will be their sort of fight. Uh, David Moyes and Antonio Conte will just be screaming at each other from three inches away. Frank Lampard and Gerard will be trying to fight each other, but they can't just quite make it work. Uh, and then, uh, uh, who is my other one? Eddie Howe and Graham Potter will probably just be like having sort of polite, but, uh, Englishly, uh, devastatingly like burning conversations. That's that's how yeah. I see that one playing out. By the way, Graham, Eddie Howe, Angelic, he manages the Death Star. Ah, but that's why they appointed him. <laughs> that's the sports washing. Fair enough. All right. Uh, Jordan Morris, thank you very much for that question. What a wonderful episode of Listener Questions. Graham Ruthven, thank you again for your contributions. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And remember, stay away from Big Cornhole. Joe Cornhole Lowry, a pleasure as always. Right back at you, Ryan. <laughs> Well, thank you again, sir. <laughs> thank you, my friend. <laughs> Listener, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Go play Cornhole. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye. Bye.